I'm wearing shorts and sandals right now. You really can't believe anything I tell you. I'm Johnny Jones, and welcome to Fake News. With the Texans and Cowboys doing so well on Sundays, both leading their respective divisions, we've seen an influx for Saturday night attendees. Thanks, Texas A&M. Big news from the CUF front office. For more on this, here's our off-site reporter, Laura Shook. Thank you, Johnny. A deal was recently proposed to stream a COF live event online, live on Netflix. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm just getting word that the legal teams have become involved and they've quickly realized that this is not Carrie Shook, but indeed Mark Shook. Check us out on Instagram Live. Wow, thanks, Laura. Well, this has been Fake News. I'm Johnny Jones, and remember, if this is your first time here, your first cup of free coffee is on me. All right. I'm going to figure out who's writing these things here pretty soon. Uh, no, that's good. Even get my wife involved. That's good. Johnny Jones has missed his calling, I think. He really could have been a, a, a newsman, don't you think? We've been having fun with this idea of fake news. We're not talking about political news. We're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about things that maybe people have believed for many years, but that the Bible says they're just not true. And we've looked at some of these. These are life and death kind of things. These are eternity kind of questions. Uh, the first week uh, we looked at the idea, the fake news was I can be good enough to earn my way to salvation. And what we realized was that that's not true. That's that's not real, that there's none of us could be good enough to earn it, that, that what has to happen is that God has to come down and, and impact us and make a difference in our lives, and then we have to open ourselves up and receive his gift. Marco, last week, talked about how we do good works, but it's not because uh, we're trying to earn our way, it's because we've invited God through his spirit into our lives, and that changes everything, because we've invited God into our lives, his spirit produces some things naturally. Fruit of the spirit, the Bible calls it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Well, we wanna look at some other things this week. I, I read again this week the story of David Morse. He's a missionary, he was many years ago, a missionary in India, and he got to be friends with an old uh, man, a pearl diver by the name of Ramba. And, you know, on the coast of India, back in those days, they would have these guys that would dive deep down for pearls into the ocean, down for the, you know, for the oysters. And uh, they would go sometimes a couple of hundred feet down without any kind of mask or, or any kind of oxygen or anything like that. And some of them would lose their life in the doing so. But one of the greatest pearl divers was Ramba, and he was an old man. And he and David Morse, the... Christian missionary had gotten to be really good friends. And David had told him many times about how God had offered his son Jesus and, and, and it was a free gift, this salvation. But Ramba had said, that's where your good religion breaks down for me because 
I, I just wouldn't be comfortable thinking that I could get to heaven that way. I feel like I need to earn my way. I need to be good enough. I need to do some things to, to show God that I'm serious about this. And so David had prayed and, and talked with Ramba for many years. Ramba came to him one day as an old, old man, and he said, this next month I'm going on what I think will be my final pilgrimage. I'm going to earn my way for sure into heaven. I'm going to walk to Delhi on my knees. And it was 900 miles to Delhi. And David Morse said, old friend, I don't want you to do that. You don't need to do that. God has done what needs to be done. He said, no, I'm determined that this is the time. He said, but you, you're probably not even going to survive the trip. He said, if I don't survive, I'll know that I've made it to heaven. Well, a day before he was to leave, Ramba called David Morse to his home and he said, David, I want to give you something. You've become my best friend. And he pulled out an old strong box and he worked the combination and he opened it up and he pulled out of it the most beautiful pearl that David had ever seen. He said, I had a son. And David Morse said, Ramba, you never told me about your son. I've known you for years. And he said, and as the old man's eyes teared up, he said, I've not been able to talk about him. He was uh, the greatest joy of my life. He was the greatest pearl diver I've ever known. He was so much better than me. He could go down and stay down longer and, and, and swim faster and go deeper and, and than, than anybody that I, that I knew. And he was always searching for the one pearl and he saw it one day but he had already run out of air but he took the time to go over and to to get it and to pry open that that, that oyster because it looked like it would be just the perfect one and it was the pearl was in there as he brought it to the surface he didn't survive but he somehow kept the pearl with it and they were able to get that and he said this is my greatest treasure my son lost his life getting this pearl and I want to give it to you, my best friend, I'm going on this pilgrimage. I don't know that I'll return. And David Moore says that in that moment, it was as if God spoke into his heart. And he said, Ramba, he said, I cannot take this gift. I will pay you for it. I, I, I will give you $10,000. This pearl, it, it's, it's too much. I, 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 I don't deserve it. I want to pay you. And if that's not enough, I'll work for it. And he said, the old man stiffened up and said, you could never pay me for this. This, this cost the lifeblood of my son. You could never pay me for this pearl. I give it to you. And Rhombus suddenly caught it. It like opened his eyes. And David Morse said, don't you see, old friend? That's what you've been doing to God. You've been saying to God, I, I, I can't receive this gift that cost you the lifeblood of your son. I can't receive it. Rhombus saw it all of a sudden. And he, he, he said, some things are too precious to earn or to buy, I see it now. He said, I, I finally understand it. It's like my eyes are opened now and I receive it. You see, there comes a point for all of us where our eyes have to be opened. We have to be able to see these things. I, I wanna talk to you about some fake news today and then I wanna talk to you about the gospel truth of what really it's all about. So pull out your sermon notes, if you would. They're right there in your little worship guide. And let's look together at the fake news. The fake news is God doesn't really do miracles anymore like he did in the Bible. God doesn't really do miracles anymore like he did 
back in the Bible. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now, we look at that and we're going like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that. I mean, look at all the, the things that Jesus did and who's really doing that today. I mean, I don't walk out and, and someone comes up and oh, if I could just touch the hem of your jeans, Mark. You know, I, I know that healing would come out and, and I, would, I would be healed. And then you see some of the, the faith healers and stuff on TV and you're going like, I, I remember growing up, there was an old guy on the radio and I would be like flipping the channels trying to find some sticks and journey and stuff, you know, and, and, and uh, all of a sudden R.W. Shambach would come up and he was a faith healer and, and R.W. Shambach and, and, and I'd get mesmerized by him. I remember one time he was saying, a blind woman came to me and he would always talk kind of like this. He said, a blind woman came to me and she said, Brother Shambach, spit in my eyes. And I said, lady, I'm not going to spit in your eyes. And she said, oh, Brother Shambach, spit in my eyes. Lady, I'm not going to spit in your eyes. Please spit in my eyes and heal me. So I thought if I was going to spit in her eyes, I was going to do a good one. So I just, you know, and I'm going like, oh, gross, man. What's up with that? You know, I just can't see Jesus doing that exactly, you know. Um, but that's some of the idea that, you know, that we get sometimes. Now, here's what's interesting. God has done many miracles here at Community of Faith and he continues to. He's kind of, one of the gifts that I feel like he's given me is kind of a gift of faith to see that happen. And he's given some of you like those different gifts to see those things happen. We've seen them over and over and over and over kind of behind the scenes. I feel like that's kind of how Jesus works. In fact, I, I was listening to Wes preach a few weeks ago. Yes, I listened to the other guys preach it, you know. And, and I was listening to him and there was a, a passage that he read that he was talking about that just really just came home to me. To, to, I think it helps to show us this. So I want you just to, to look with me in your Bible and, and let's look at something that Jesus did. And he did it in Mark 7 and starting with verse 32. And it says this, some people brought to Jesus a deaf man with a severe speech impediment. They pleaded with Jesus to place his hands on him and heal him. So Jesus led him away from the crowd to a private spot. Do you see that? It's like, you know, I would think if you're Jesus, you would want to just like do it in front of everybody so they could all see it and everybody could say, wow, look at Jesus and he must be the son of God and all of those kind of things, you know, and, and wow, there's going to be a bigger crowd next week, but he took him away from the crowd to a private spot. And then it says, then he stuck his fingers into the man's ears and he placed some of his saliva on the man's tongue. Now, at first you're going like, ah, I don't know. So you try to picture this because Jesus is really personal. You know, he's really close. And he puts his fingers in his ears. Okay, that's pretty personal. But then he licks his fingers or something and he puts saliva on the man's tongue. What's he doing? Well, I think if you really can imagine it with me, it's like, this is the God man here. He's got God DNA in him. And he is putting some God DNA into this man's system, right? You know, and, and you just imagine things beginning to move and work. And it, it's, it's kind of a crazy feel. 
And, and we see Jesus doing that in different ways. One time he, he spit on the ground and he made mud out of his spittle and he put it on a man's eyes. That's where I guess R.W. Schambach got that idea. I don't know, but, but you know, it's like, but there's divine DNA in it. The only time I've ever seen anything that would be kind of like that for me was, I remember we were in Africa on safari one time. We had gone and we had been in Burundi with, with our, our folks over there that have become some of our best friends that you guys have been working with for such a long time and, and, and seeing their life change. And then we took this little short uh, kind of a safari two-day kind of thing. And I remember the guide taking some of the grass seeds that had grown, that some of the grass had grown up high and he pulled off the top and he kind of separated out and there was like this top of the seed and it had a tendril that came down out of it and he set it in my hand and he said, I wanna show you why Africa is so alive and so fantastic. And he dropped a little water out of his canteen onto that and all of a sudden that thing began to move. I mean, the grass began to move. It was like it was alive. He said, that's why everything is alive with like God here. And it starts from the grass up. That's why there's all of these amazing, this amazing life here in Africa. He said, it's more alive than anywhere else in the world. And I remember thinking that is like the most amazing thing. I didn't want to walk in the grass anymore after that. I was a little spooked, you know, but, but it, it was, it was crazy. That's kind of what happened with this guy. He gets God DNA on his tongue and everything probably begins to move through his system and God begins to do this stuff. But then look what Jesus does. It says, verse 34, then Jesus gazed into heaven. And in the original language, it's literally he focused on or contemplated heaven. So he looks up into heaven. And then it says he sighed deeply. Why would he look up into heaven and sigh deeply. I think we're going to see in a minute. And then he spoke to the man's ears and tongue. Ethpathak. Ethpathak in Aramaic for open up now. And at once the man's ears opened and he could hear perfectly. And his tongue was untied and he began to speak normally. Jesus ordered everyone to keep this miracle a secret. But the more he told them not to, the more the news spread. Jesus would do that all the time. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He'd always say, now don't tell anybody about this. Why, why would he, why not share the miracle? Why was he always saying, why did he take him to a private spot? Why did he say, don't share this? I think it was, he didn't want us to miss the greater work. He didn't want us to miss the greater work, the same works that he was talking about, the greater works than I do, you will do. The greatest work of God is the transformation deep inside of us. It's the fusion of God DNA deep down in our spirit when we receive what Christ did on the cross, his gift of salvation. And as God fuses his DNA with our spirit, we become, the Bible says, a whole new creation, never seen before in the history of the universe. I believe the ultimate creation, the one that's going to rule and reign with Jesus forever, the bride of Christ. I don't understand how all of that works, but this miracle has happened now over and over and over again since Jesus walked this planet over a billion times as many have stepped into relationship with Christ. Jesus in his whole earthly ministry only ministered to a few thousands of people 
but billions of times now. This has happened because of community of faith. This is happening all over the globe. Little girls in Houston being pulled out of sex trafficking and coming into relationship with God and having that fusion of divine DNA in their spirit, becoming that beautiful creation that God intended them to be. In Burundi, with the Batwa people, we've seen it. In Costa Rica, those little kids pulled off the streets. In Nicaragua, as those starving little kids have been given a new chance at life. We see it in India, close to Nepal there, where we're working so much with Mark Taylor, who'll be here with us in, in, in a, a few weeks. And we're seeing those little kids that have been pulled again from being trafficked, pulled right out of the brothels even. And they have a new chance at life and they're stepping into relationship with Jesus. We're seeing it all over the world and it's the greater works. When I was a, a, a kid, I went to church because I was a preacher's kid. You know, you go to church a lot. And I knew the Bible really well because I was a preacher's kid and I learned the Bible really well. And so my Sunday school teacher, when I was young, said, I'm gonna give you a dollar to all of our class, give you a dollar for every Bible verse you learn. You just come and share it with me. Well, I knew the ones to learn, you know? Like I learned John 11, 35 first, Jesus wept. <laughs> you just learned a Bible verse right there. You can go home and say, I memorized one. Jesus wept, you know? So give me a buck. And, and uh, I had a lot of others, you know, none were that short because that's the shortest verse in the Bible. But I want to get to that verse for a second. Why did Jesus weep? What was going on? Jesus wept because his friend Lazarus had died. But he wasn't weeping because Lazarus died. He was weeping because Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were crying and missing him and hurting so badly. He wept for our human condition but he wept for more than that he knew he was going to call Lazarus back to life and I think he wept because he was calling Lazarus back to this place to have to die all over again because God knows better about death than we do and he sees that even you know I believe that God wants to do amazing physical healing still today and I've seen it over and over but that's not his main concern I'll just tell you the greater work is that our eyes, our, our understanding is opened up to receive what, what Jesus did for us, that we would see it and know it, that we would become that new creation because anything that happens with our physical being is it, just gonna wear out again. This was never intended to last. And, and that's the truth of what God's trying to get to us. It's interesting how God sees death even. Look at this in Isaiah 57, one. You might not have known this was even in there. Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. You know, and everybody says the good die young. The Bible says that can happen, right? But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. Seems like a lot of good people have been dying lately. God is protecting them from the evil to come. Some of us, we're gonna go through it. We need to be ready. But some of it, some, God's saying, come on up here. You don't have to go through all of this. Some of us, God's teaching and training and doing some things in us that we're not ready yet. So the fake news is that 
Jesus isn't still doing miracles. The good news, the gospel, write this down. Jesus still heals today. But his focus is on the greater works. His focus is on the greater works. Mark 7, 34, that phrase, open up. It's the same wording, if you moved it into Hebrew, that's in Isaiah 61, 1. Let me just read that to you. It's a prophecy about Jesus coming. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, opening to those who are bound. Opening to those who are bound. Isaiah 32, 3 says, then at last eyes that are ready to see will finally be opened. Ears that are ready to hear will finally be opened. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians, he tells us a secret about how this whole thing works, that it's a spiritual thing going on. It says, but if our gospel is hid, it is hid to those that are lost, in whom the God of this age has blinded the understanding of those who do not believe, that the light of the gospel of the glory of the Christ, who is the image of God, should not shine in them. Luke 24, 45, it says, Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. In Acts 16, 14, it says, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. She's a worshiper of God, but she's not a believer. You know people like that. Maybe that's what you say. I'm a spiritual person. I I'm a worshiper. I'm, I'm someone who is spiritual. But that's still not what it means to be a believer. It's stepping into this understanding of what Jesus did for us. It says, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. She became the first believer in Europe. Jesus said this, so pay careful attention to your hearts as you hear my teaching. For to those who have open hearts, even more revelation will be given to them until it overflows. And for those who do not listen with open hearts, what little light they imagine to have will be taken away. So what do we get from this? We learn, watch your own heart. Pray for God to open the hearts of others. See, have you ever been talking to someone and you're telling them what Jesus did for you and how amazing this is. And, and it's just like talking to a wall. I don't get it. Doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. And, and maybe you're here today and it's been like that. It's just been like, I hear, I've heard Mark over and over and over. But it's like, I don't, it doesn't sink in. It doesn't go anywhere. I don't get it. Paul said it's because we're blinded. The, the God of this world has blinded us to see our job as the church is to pray be opened eyes be opened understanding that's our job and until we pray that for people there's no way they can see see it doesn't matter if you're the best lawyer for God in the world and you could have all these books you've read and all these facts you know and about all these ways to prove that God truly exists you're talking to people that can't understand it because they're blinded you have to pray for them. That's why when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? 
We really want to know how to pray because we've seen you pray and we've seen God do amazing things. And he said, well, let me tell you how to do it then. When you pray, pray like this. And he gave us the model prayer. You remember the model prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here's what's interesting. When it comes to thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it sounds like that would be a nice thing, he's saying. That's not how it is in the original language. In the Greek, Jesus is saying, come, kingdom of God. This is what you do when you pray. You say, I'm praising you, Father. I want your name to be honored. Now I'm going to say, come, kingdom of God, on this person. Be done, will of God, in their life. Open their understanding. Be done, will of God, in this situation. Come, kingdom of God, like a bubble of heaven coming down upon earth where you are seen and known and understood and you do what you do. Come, kingdom of God, in this moment, in my family, right now, be done, will of God, here, now. Who are you praying that for? Are you praying that for somebody? Are you asking that their eyes would be open? I, I wanna show you a, a picture of who I'm praying for right now, okay? Look up on the screen. That's my granddaughter, Zoe, okay? Now, Zoe, in this picture, she sent it to Abby, which is Laura, and she said, this is what I do when I miss God and Abby. And sometimes she mixes Abby up with God, I think, but she prays, she said, I, I, I put my hands together and I breathe deep and I feel more peaceful. Well, I've been praying for Zoe. You know, it's so interesting with little ones, how you, they just accept that God is real, that he's there, that he cares. It's not like it's hard for them. But I'm gonna ask you, you know, they've moved from Houston to Denver. I'll show you a picture of her brother. This is Owen, that's my other one I'm praying for, all right? And he's growing up, like he's, going, he's a wild man. And we gotta pray hard for that boy, you know? <laughs> But, but here's the deal, you know, they used to be here and they would come to our church and they loved it and now they've moved off to Denver, which is not like the Holy Land exactly, you know? <laughs> Weather is amazing, but you know, it's hard to find a good church and, and they're, you know, they're, so I want, would some of you, I'm gonna ask some of you that are great prayers, join me in this journey of praying for Owen and for Zoe. Would you do that with me? As we agree together and say, come kingdom of God, be done will of God. Now, who is it that you have? that you're praying for? Who is it that you care about? Who is it that you want to see that happen? What about your coworkers? What about your children? You see, you can talk to your kids till you're blue in the face about God, but until God opens their minds, they're not gonna be able to see it. I remember years ago, a friend of mine, his name was Brad. He was a godly man. We were friends. I was a pastor and, and, and he was in the congregation and, and he was a principal at a, a local school out here. And um, he was out jogging one morning early. A guy who was delivering the, the Chronicle fell asleep on his pickup and veered off the road and killed him. He was young. He had two little girls. They were about Zoe and Owen's ages, just a little bit older. And I remember as I spoke his funeral, that his wife and his two little girls were down front. And I said, I knew your daddy well. 
And I know something that maybe you don't know. I preached a message a, a while back about prayer as the waiting miracle, I told them. And I said, when you pray, that it's like it goes around in a big circle around God's throne and it comes to God's ears at just the right moment. I said, I know something about your daddy, little girls. I know that he prayed over every moment of your life. Already, he already has. And he prayed about when you would start school and you're gonna be afraid and scared and he's not gonna get to be there but his prayers are gonna be there and they're gonna enter into God's ears right at that moment and God's gonna step down and he's gonna walk with you in that moment as you start school. He prayed about the first boy that you're ever gonna date and that kid better watch out because that prayer is gonna enter into God's ears and it's gonna be there right at that moment. He prayed about when you walk down the aisle in your beautiful white dress and he's not gonna to get to walk you down the aisle but his prayers are gonna enter into God's ears right at that moment and he's gonna affect your marriage. Prayer is the waiting miracle and we need to do that for all of our kids and grandkids. We need to do that down through the, the, the people that we care about, praying through their life. But see, God looks at things so differently than we do. I remember David Luger, a good friend of mine who died a little while back and, and we prayed for him. He had lung cancer, never smoked, and he got lung cancer. A really vital, awesome, godly man. And God healed him. I mean, he didn't have any lung cancer. The doctor said, you're like a miracle. We've never hardly seen anything like this. And then a few months later, he came to me and he said, my cancer is all over. It's not in my lungs, but it's all over the inside, the, the connective tissue of my body. And we were like stunned and like, God, what? But you see, David had been praying for his children and his grandchildren. And I remember as he lay on his deathbed and he had started that raspy last breathing of, as I've been with people at their deathbeds hundreds of times now. And his little grandchildren were around holding on to his feet and his son-in-law was outside in the yard with some of the kids and then David breathed his last and it was like this wind. It was crazy because they had these palm trees in these giant pots outside and they were, I mean, big old giant things and wind came through and just knocked them all over at once. It was like just this huge wind and his son-in-law ran in and said, what just happened? And I said, he just breathed his last. He said, I knew something happened and God used that whole thing, which I think was probably the chariots of God coming to get him, you know? He used that whole thing to bring his children into walking with God. And they've been here and they've been faithful. And David, I know he loves to see that. And he would have done anything for that to happen. God wants to open our minds today. And I've been praying in this service that he would open your understanding today. And that you would get it, that it would be maybe for the very first time, I get it like Ramba did. Many years ago, there was a, a very wealthy man who loved to collect art and his wife had passed away, he had a little son. And as his son grew up, they went, traveled all over the world and collected art. They had hundreds of millions of dollars worth of art. Rembrandts, Monet's, Van Gogh's. And, and they, they, they loved to collect. He watched as his son grew up into a fine young man and he was an amazing sharp art collector and it was the joy of the old man's life. 
as they traveled the world together and did this. But World War I came and the son went off to war. And he stopped getting messages back and he thought the worst had possibly happened and then there was a knock at his door and yes, there was an officer who said, your son was killed in battle. He was rescuing a fellow soldier from danger and as he pulled him to safety, he was hit multiple times. The last shot hit him right in the heart and burst his heart. And the old man shut the door and he sat down and began to weep. And all of that vast art collection that just became a, a memory of his son. And he, he didn't even know what to do with it. A few months later, he got another knock on the door and it was a, another young soldier. And he said, he had something, a package under his arm. And he said, I, I knew your son. In fact, I was the one that your son rescued. I was gonna die. I was, I had been hit in the leg. I was, had fallen. Shots were coming all around me and he ran out in the middle of that and dragged me to safety. And just as he was pulling me, that final pull to safety, a bullet hit him right in the heart. But he saved my life. And he said, I'm not much of an artist, but I know that you, you and he, you, he talked about how y'all loved art. And he said, I'm kind of an amateur, but I, I, I drew this. Sometimes I can kind of get the likeness. And, and he pulled the wrappings off of what he had under his arm and it was a painting of the man's son with the artist on his shoulder carrying him to safety and he had captured the, the look on his son's face really good of determination and of, uh, of compassion and just all of these feelings and it just was it was his son it was amateurish in some ways but he said this he said I, I, I thank you so much for this and as the, the boy left he put it up, he moved millions of dollars worth of art out of the way and put it right over the mantle. A year or so later, the old man died and because he had no heirs, the art world was abuzz because they were gonna have this great auction of all of his paintings, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of paintings. And, and it came time for the auction and the place was crowded. Everybody there with their millions in their pocket ready to, to, to get some of the best art in the world and the auction started the auctioneer says we start with this one and he pulled it up and it was just simply called the sun and it wasn't on any of their, their you know their little brochures about the art that was there and nobody had really even heard about it it was that picture that the soldier had painted of the man's son and everybody said well that's amateurish that's you know give us the van goghs and the rembrandts and the monets and all of this like he said no we have to start with this one. Who'll give me a hundred dollars? There was silence, awkward. Then a man stood up in the back and he said, I was the gardener for the old man and I knew the boy and, and that picture would mean a lot to me. He said, but I don't have a hundred dollars. I only have 50. And so the auctioneer said, 50. I hear $50 going once, going twice, sold for $50 and then everybody goes finally we can get to the great works and then he, the auctioneer stunned them he said the auction is closed and they said what do you mean the auction is closed what are you talking about and he said it's written into the will of the father that the one who takes the son gets everything let me read you a verse Paul says, it's amazing 
Consider the kind of extravagant love the Father has lavished on us. He calls us children of God. It's true. We are His beloved children. And John is saying, and in the same way the world didn't recognize Him, the world does not recognize us either. My loved ones, we have been adopted into God's family and we're officially His children now. The full picture of our destiny is not yet clear, but we know this much. When Jesus appears, we'll be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And so I pray a very simple prayer over you this morning. Be opened. Be opened. This is the understanding. This is what it means. God is here now. He's been pursuing you. It's time to receive.
Pray with me. Father, we pray together. I ask that you've opened our eyes, our understanding, that we sensed and felt your pull to us today. God, as we pray for others, as we ask you to do in our lives what only you can do, open us up. Open this world around us. Open these ones we care about. Let us receive the greatest work as your divine DNA fuses with ours. As we receive what you did for us on the cross. As we receive this gift of salvation and become the new creation that you've dreamed of us being. To walk with you and rule and reign with you. In Jesus name. Amen.